Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, as it is wonderful to see all of your smiling faces this morning. Today we will be continuing our study of the epistle of 1 John, looking specifically at 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 where the Apostle John picks up right where he left off last week by sharing with his Christian readers exactly what the result is or what the outcome is for those who believe in God's testimony, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, if you remember back to last week, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, that the water or that the baptism of Jesus Christ, that it testified to the fact that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Because immediately following the baptism of Jesus Christ, as Matthew 3 shared, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and made known to the world that Jesus is the anointed of God. For God himself declared on that day that this man named Jesus is in fact my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. However, church, make no mistake, if you are going to make the claim that Jesus is God in the flesh, then you are going to need more than one, more than just one credible witness to be able to back that claim up. And thus John goes, goes on to note in verses 6 and 7, that it is not the water only that made this claim, but just as profoundly the blood or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ also made this claim as well. Because as Matthew 27 notes, the day of Jesus' crucifixion, church, it was no normal day. For darkness covered the earth from 12 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon on that day. For the veil of the temple was torn in two on that day. And the earth shook and rocks were split and the tombs were opened on that day. And thus one of the centurions who was present at Jesus' crucifixion on that day, who had seen all that had taken place, he couldn't help but naturally conclude that this man named Jesus truly was the Son of God. And yet that's just two testimonies, church. And as we know, the Apostle John, he writes in verse 7 that there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. For it is the Holy Spirit, church, who takes us from death to life. For it is the Holy Spirit, church, who takes us from darkness to light. And it is the Holy Spirit who testifies to us inwardly so that we can believe, verse 9, the very testimony that God himself has borne concerning his Son. That this man named Jesus isn't just some loon or lunatic, liar or legend, but that this man named Jesus truly is God in the flesh. The Christ, the Messiah, and the only one who can take away the sins of the world. However, the question that remains this morning, Christian, is this. How then do you respond to God's testimony? Or in essence, how do you respond, Christian, to the greatest testimony that the world has ever received from the greatest witness imaginable, who has clearly declared to us that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God? Because our response to that testimony, church, it matters. For our response to that testimony, it matters more than any other response that we will ever give in our entire lives. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. 
Whoever believes in God's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, will receive the gift of eternal life. Whoever believes in God's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, will receive the gift of eternal life. Thus at this time, let's open our Bibles up, church, to 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And if you are visiting with us this morning and do not own a Bible, that is okay, because there is a Bible with your name on it located in the chairs in front of you. Thus, please feel free to grab it and to open it up to page 1023 and join us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. Again, church, we are in 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, where the Apostle John, he writes, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you this morning as a church body. How good it is to come into this building together as the church, as the people. Christ is the head, we are the body to serve you this morning. Father, I pray that we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs that are a fragrant offering to you. Lord, I pray that we help each other grow this morning in Christ-likeness. And Father, above all else, I pray that we glorify you. Lord, through the preaching of your word, through the offering, through our songs, praying in mind and in spirit. Lord, it is good to be the church this morning glorifying a God who is eternal and good. Father, I pray that you open this dear flock's eyes this morning to your word, open their ears, soften their hearts to be able to receive whatever you want them to receive. Let them be humble, and if they need to be convicted of anything, Spirit, I pray that you do it. I also pray for your help this morning, Father. Lord, give me the words to speak. I pray that they are humble, yet bold, yet they give this dear flock the truth. Help me to rely on you completely this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, to not believe that Jesus is the Christ and the only begotten Son of God, it is to ultimately call God a liar. To not believe that Jesus is the Christ and the only begotten Son of God, it is to ultimately call God a liar. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So John opens this morning in verse 10 with, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. 
Listen to that again, church. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. I mean, how beautiful and how reassuring is that truth to our weary souls this morning? Because not only has God testified to us, Christian, via the Spirit, via the water, and via the blood, that Jesus is truly God and truly man, that he is literally God in the flesh and thus the only Savior of the world. But if we believe in this testimony and confess this testimony and trust in this beautiful testimony, we then, as John writes in verse 10, have the testimony in ourselves which is similar to what John wrote in chapter 4, where he said, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Thus, when we believe and confess and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, the Spirit then, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, Romans chapter 8. In essence, assuring us, Christian, and strengthening us, Christian, and eternally promising to us that Jesus is who God the Father says he is, the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. Therefore, to believe in the outward testimony of God the Father about God the Son, it is to also possess the inward testimony of God the Holy Spirit. And this inward testimony of the Holy Spirit, it will keep you, Christian, secure in Jesus Christ. Yes, even in this age of apprehension, this society of skepticism, this world of wavering, and in this culture of confusion, the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit will continuously keep you, Christian, assured, convinced, persuaded, and clinging to the very testimony of God himself. For as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, for when you heard the word of truth, Christian, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Thus, to the praise of God's glory and grace this morning, Christian, and forevermore for the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit that now abides in you. For he will keep you and strengthen you daily, Christian, to hold fast to the life-giving testimony of God himself, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the only Savior of the world. And yet, on the flip side of that, John also writes in verse 10 that whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar. Now, I don't know about you, church, but the whole idea of calling God a liar, it sends shivers and shakes and trembles up and down my spine. For God himself has declared about himself that he never lies, Titus 1. That every word of his proves true, Proverbs 30, and that his word is pure, Psalm 12. Thus, to not believe the exact word or the exact testimony of God himself concerning Jesus Christ, it is to ultimately call God a liar. And that goes regardless, church, of how much praise, how much esteem, or how much lip service one pays to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For example, Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Faith, 
He wrote about a man named Charles Templeton, who was a close friend and preaching associate of Billy Graham in the 1940s, and who effectively preached the gospel to large crowds throughout the country at massive revival-type events. However, doubt began to fester within Templeton, which led to him questioning the truths of Scripture and other core Christian beliefs. Thus, he ultimately abandoned the faith. Naturally, then, Templeton also resigned from the ministry and became a novelist and a news commentator. And he also went on to write a critique of the Christian faith titled, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. However, when interviewed when he was 83 years old and suffering from Alzheimer's, Templeton was asked why he left the faith and what he thought about Jesus. Templeton did not and would not acknowledge Jesus as God. However, he still responded by saying that Jesus was the greatest human being who had ever lived, that he was a moral genius, that his ethical sense was unique, and that he was the wisest person who he had ever encountered in his life or in his readings, and that Jesus was the most important thing in his life. Templeton concluded by saying, I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore Jesus. For everything I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. He is the most important human being who ever existed. That is quite the lofty praise of Jesus, is it not? However, church, please make no mistake. For as lofty as that praise is, it is nowhere close to being lofty enough. For to not acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, to not acknowledge Jesus as God in the flesh, as the Christ, as the Messiah, or as the Savior of the world, it is to ultimately call the God of the universe a liar. For it is to ultimately say that God's testimony about Jesus is wrong. And that you, that you know more than God, that you don't need God, and that your truth is more credible than God's truth. Therefore, church, it doesn't matter if someone calls Jesus the greatest person who has ever lived, or the wisest person who has ever lived, or even the most important person who has ever lived. Because as true as those statements are, they do not affirm in and of themselves God's complete and exact testimony as to who Jesus Christ really is. And thus to not believe in God's complete and exact testimony about Jesus, it is to then believe in a man named Jesus who you have made up in your mind. And that figment of Jesus the one who you have made up in your mind, he does not and he cannot save. For the only Jesus who can save, church, is the one whom God himself has bore witness to. For that Jesus is unapologetically, exclusively, and absolutely the only Christ and the only Son of God. And thus to believe Jesus is anything other than that is to call the God of the universe a liar. And I can promise you, church, there is no chance of eternal life in that. Which takes us to point number two. Christian, if you believe the testimony God has given us, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it will lead to eternal life. Christian, if you believe the testimony that God has given us, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it will lead to eternal life. Verses 11 and 12. 
And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So John opens verse 11 with, And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. Now you might be sitting there this morning thinking, Wait, what? I thought the testimony that God gave us and what the Apostle John has been hammering home for two weeks now was about Jesus Christ, not that of eternal life. However, for John here, church, the Son and eternal life, they are synonymous. They are compatible, for they are associated terms. Because eternal life was given to the world, church, via the Son, via Jesus Christ. For as John wrote in chapter 4, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God has sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Therefore, the gift of eternal life, verse 11, is in the Son. Or the gift of eternal life comes only to us by the Son, through the Son, and in the Son, Jesus Christ. For we are only saved, church, by grace, through faith, in the Son, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. However, as common as we might think that belief is within the realm of Christianity... Sadly, that core tenet of the Christian faith is not nearly as accepted or as common as we may think. For example, I read a research poll this week, which was conducted back in 2015, and it found that among those surveyed who claim to be Christian, among those surveyed who claim to be Christian, 66% of those participants said that there are many religions that can lead to eternal life with that number jumping as high as 80% among surveyed Christians who were affiliated with mainline denominations. Again, those numbers are from only those who claimed to be Christian. And two-thirds of those self-professing Christians said that there are other ways that lead to eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. Whereas Jesus Christ on the matter said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Thus do not be deceived, Christian, for eternal life comes only and solely and exclusively through Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And it is for that reason that John throws down the gauntlet here in verse 12. For he makes it crystal clear, black and white, one or the other, as direct and as straightforward and as explicit as possible. For he writes in verse 12, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Boom, done, end of story, no ifs, no ends, and no buts about it. If you have the Son, meaning you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and you're trusting in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and your reconciliation back to God, then boom, you've been given the gift of eternal life. For it is just that plain, it is just that simple. However... If you instead believe that Jesus was just some good guy, some moral exemplar, some great teacher that we should probably try to mimic from time to time, then to be blunt, you do not have the gift of eternal life. 
Or if you believe that Jesus is just one of many ways to receive salvation, then you do not have the gift of eternal life. Or if you believe that Jesus is just some genie in the sky who wants to grant you wishes, bless you in your sinful lifestyle, and who will save you no matter what, then you do not possess the gift of eternal life, for you do not possess the truth. And that is, to be frank, the world in which we are currently living in church. A world that would much rather follow a man-made religion, a set of beliefs or an ideology that makes them feel good and feel happy and feel special than to actually place their faith in what is true. And And the problem with this is simple, church. Because to follow a false religion that just makes you feel good and special and happy on the inside, it still only leads to eternal death. Pastor and author Craig Lawson, he shared that following the death of Princess Diana in 1997, Jim Matea, an automotive journalist at the Chicago Tribune, noted that the chauffeur of the car that evening had three times the legal limit of alcohol in his system. And furthermore, police estimated that the car that evening had been going as fast as 120 miles per hour when the crash occurred in the Paris Tunnel. Therefore, following the accidents, many celebrities began paying very close attention to who exactly their chauffeur was and if their chauffeur was properly trained to get them to their destination safely. Because prior to the death of Princess Diana, more often than not, it was the practice of many celebrities to spend upwards of $300,000 on an armored car only to hire a friend to drive it, or someone who was nice and would make them feel good, not a driver who actually had the ability to get them safely from point A to point B. Therefore, when we choose a religion church that will steer our lives, the issue isn't whether or not the religion makes us feel happy or special or warm and fuzzy on the inside. Instead, the only thing that matters is whether or not the religion is trustworthy and true, and thus will bring us safely to our hoped-for destination, that being eternal life with our God. Therefore, church, the question is, what is your goal for eternity? For if your goal for eternity is to receive the same eternal fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, and for everlasting destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1, in the place where the smoke of torment rises forever and ever, Revelation 14, then I am telling you, be obsessed with following the course of the world. And believe not in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the only Savior of the world, but instead trust in the culture, submit to the media, and confess whatever the celebrity world is peddling. Because for those who do not believe in the testimony of God himself, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but instead follow after the course of the world, they will ultimately face the punishment of eternal death in the lake of fire and sulfur, for that is the only possible eternal destiny for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. However, if your goal for eternity is not to be in the presence of the devil and his angels, but instead to be in the very presence of God himself, 
If your goal for eternity is not that of shame and destruction and everlasting contempt, but instead it's of joy and peace and eternal satisfaction. If your goal for eternity is not a place where smoke and torment rises, but instead a place where your praise rises, your worship rises, and your cries of holy, holy, holy to the Lord of hosts rises and rises and rises forever and ever, then don't go searching for a religion that blesses your sin, loves the world, and will make you cool and relevant and accepted by the secular culture. But instead, believe and trust and cling to the testimony that God himself has bore witness that Jesus is the Christ and the only Son of God. For it is only in the Son of God, church, that we will receive the gift of eternal life. Thus, to respond wisely to the testimony of God himself, it is to always, 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 always choose Jesus Christ. Thus, Christian, continue in all that you do to believe in, to seek, and to choose Jesus Christ for eternal life is only found in him. Now, as we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who is here first. A non-Christian, there are only two questions that should matter to you this morning. And those questions, quite simply, they go something like this. Question one, where do you want to end up in eternity? I mean, do you desire eternal life, perfection, paradise, and peace? Or do you desire that of death, punishment, judgment, and the eternal gnashing of teeth? And non-Christian, if you are sitting there this morning and can honestly say that you desire that of eternal life, then the second question that remains is, who are you trusting to get there? Are you trusting in your own knowledge, your own works, your own efforts, and your own ideas? Or are you trusting in the only testimony that matters? God's testimony. God's testimony which says there is eternal life in Jesus Christ and in no one else. And I want to be perfectly clear with you this morning, non-Christian, this gift of eternal life, it is still available to you. Now, currently, this morning, it is still available if you believe that Jesus Christ came into this world as truly God and as truly man to save you from your sin by literally living the life that you could never live. You see, non-Christian, although Jesus Christ was tempted with sin just like we are, he never sinned. For Jesus lived a life that was perfect and faithful and righteous, and thus he perfectly and completely fulfilled the law of God for the children of God. However, non-Christian Jesus Christ, he didn't just come into this world to live a perfect life and fulfill the law for us. But Jesus Christ also came into this world to pay the debt that we owe for our sin. And thus Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross and died a sinner's death in our place. Ultimately bearing the wrath and the punishment and the judgment that we deserve for our sins as our very substitute. And you know what, non-Christian? Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, it appeased the wrath of God the Father. 
toward the sins of his children. Thus, three days later, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead as the proof, as the receipt that he had indeed defeated sin and crushed death and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day, non-Christian, that you no longer need to fear the wrath or the punishment or the judgment that you deserve for your sin. Because to place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is to know that you have been forgiven of your sins, clothed in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and are now able to stand confidently in the presence of God as a child of the Most High God, for you have been given the gift of eternal life. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your faith in Christ, because for those who believe in the name of the Son of God, they will be given the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, every month I meet with a group of BFC pastors who live in the surrounding area to pray for each other, to fellowship with each other, and to catch up. And we were chatting this month about how so many churches right now are experiencing seasons of growth, that even in the midst of a pandemic, Even as culture gets more and more secular, even as the world seems to be getting darker and darker, churches are still experiencing growth. And one of the thoughts we came up with to explain this phenomenon, if you will, was because there seems to be a lot of people right now who are not quite as focused on the temporal, not quite as focused on the temporary, not quite as focused on the transient things of this world but who instead have lifted their eyes a bit and are beginning to think a little more about the eternal, about the everlasting, about that which is eternal life. And really, who can blame them? Because the lie that they have been fed by this world is that if you make lots of money, then you will find joy. If you be your true, genuine self, then you will find your delight. And if you get the job and the title and the promotion that you really, really want, then you will achieve bliss. However, I think what this season of life has displayed to many in the world is that the joy and the delight and the bliss that is supposed to come from the things of this world, that it's fleeting momentary, here today, gone tomorrow, not permanent, not eternal, and certainly not everlasting. For true joy, as we know, Christian, it is not determined by what is taking place in the world around us. Instead, true joy, it is only found in Jesus Christ. I read a story this week by Joseph Cooper about the 18th century English preacher John Newton who once visited a Christian family who had just suffered the loss of all that they had in a giant fire. And Newton greeted the mother of the family with these words, I give you joy, madame. Surprised, the mother exclaimed, What? Joy that all my property is now consumed? 
Oh no, Newton replied, joy that you have so much property that no fire can ever touch in heaven. This subtle reminder checked her grief in the moment, and while wiping away tears from her eyes, she smiled back at Newton like the sun shining after an April shower in all of her gift of eternal life. And that is your gift this morning as well, Christian. Not death, not eternal punishment, not fire and gloom and doom, but the blessing of eternal life with your God. For that is what you have currently in your possession this morning, Christian. Thus, my question to you this morning, church, is this. What completes your joy? What is your source of joy every morning? Because although the world around us seems dark, Christian, And although there is sickness and pestilence and death in our midst, greed and gluttony and selfishness as far as the eye can see, crime and lawlessness and wickedness that impacts us each and every day, for the Christian we have a gift that transcends every sickness, every sin, and every trial that we will ever face. And that gift that completes our joy, Christian, his name is Jesus Christ, the one who is from the beginning, who died for our sins according to the scripture, and who is the giver of eternal life. For that church is where our joy is made complete today, tomorrow, and forevermore in Jesus Christ. Thus do not let this world which is passing away curtail or impede or hinder your joy in the Lord. But instead, let your joy in the Lord dictate to you, Christian, how you walk in this world in the here and now as you Keep your eyes fixed on the gift that is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body cling to the gift of eternal life that we have been given in Jesus Christ. For it is only in Christ that we have peace, only in Christ that we have rest, and only in Christ that we find our source of satisfaction and delight. Therefore, Father, help us to remember that although we may walk through days that are long, weeks that are dark, and seasons that are wicked, for those who are in Christ, joy, it always comes in the morning. Thus keep us, Father, holding fast to the confessions that you have given us, focusing not our attention on the ways of this world, but lifting our eyes and keeping them fixed on Jesus Christ and the gift that is eternal life. For you have said, Father, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Thus we cry out boldly today, tomorrow, and forevermore that yes, we believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For it is only in Christ church where our joy is made complete. Let's pray. Father, your word is so clear. If we have the Son, we have eternal life. If we don't have the Son of God, we do not. And yet, why does the world, why are they so focused on the here and now? 70, 80 years on this earth, that is nothing but a blip. And they neglect eternal life. A life that not only goes on forever, but a life that is perfect, sinless, in the presence of our Savior. As we will be given imperishable bodies, fit to be in the presence of God forever. Lord, if there are any here today that do not have the gift of eternal life, Father, I pray that you call them to yourself. 
As Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father who calls them gives them to me and that Christ will raise them up on the last day. Father, if there's anyone here who does not have Christ yet, call them to yourself. And for those who are part of the church, who have been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, help us, Lord, to persevere. Let not Facebook or Twitter or TV determine our joy that we have each day. Our joy is fixed on Jesus Christ. For we will have Christ forever and ever and ever. To you be the glory, God. Amen.